for the people listening to this podcast, there's never going to be a invitation to start and there's never going to be a clear cut path to walk. You just kind of do it. And if you feel scared to do it, talk to other women who've done it already. And you'll see that there was nothing special about them. It just was drive. That's all it was. It was drive and passion. Welcome to the Genius Women Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, an award-winning travel photographer and writer with work in some incredible publications like National Geographic, Far Magazine, and more. And this year, you'll see my name in places like Condé Nast Traveler. I'm on a mission to help other women who want to grow their travel storytelling careers go after their dreams while feeling supported, worthy, and bold. If you're ready to ditch your fear and doubt to the side, step into your brilliance and take action on your dreams, you're in the right place. Let's go. Hi, friends. Today, I'm very excited to kick off season three of our podcast with a conversation I recently had with Nikki Vargas. Nikki is the founding editor of Unearth Women, a travel magazine and media platform for women by women. She's a travel writer and author based in New York and originally from Bogota, Colombia. Nikki's work has been featured in Vice, Food & Wine, and more, and her work with Unearthed Women has been profiled in the New York Times, Good Morning America, CNN, and more. Previously, Nikki worked as the travel editor at Culture Trip, Atlas Obscura, and The Infatuation. And in this episode, she shares a wealth of insights, knowledge, and wisdom about establishing your voice on the travel storytelling path. I loved our conversation with Nikki, and we got into great depths talking about championing women's voices, the impossible weight of comparing ourselves to others, what it takes to launch and later fold a print travel magazine, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a really, really wonderful conversation. And welcome to season three of the Genius Women podcast. So, so excited to welcome Nikki to our show today and really dig into uh, your story and Unearthed Women and everything you have going on. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Wonderful. So during the pandemic, you started a weekly Unearthed Women newsletter, and we'll link to it in the show. And one of the recent stories you shared on the newsletter was about the murder of your aunt, Adita, in Colombia. So I was curious to know what compelled you to write that story and to share it with your uh, newsletter subscribers. Yeah. So that is an article that I wrote actually a few years back. At the time, I was travel editor at a publication called Culture Trip. And as part of my job, in addition to managing an in-house team and freelancers, was to also do original reporting and stories. And we had the opportunity to pitch stories to our editor-in-chief and to actually go out and travel in the world to pursue them. So at that moment in time, it was 2016, and Colombia was in the process of reaching a peace deal with FARC, which for those who are unfamiliar, FARC was a narco-terrorist organization that wreaked a lot of havoc on the country. 
And I had always sort of grown up with uh, this idea of FARC as sort of the big bad wolf in my family. My family um, throughout the years has sort of fled Colombia for various reasons, but the reasons always seem to sort of stem from the instability that FARC had created in the country. And uh, including me, I was born in Bogota. My family left the country after a bomb went off about a block away from our apartment in Bogota. So... I had the idea to take one of these stories, which is this mysterious circumstances surrounding my my great aunt's death, and to sort of investigate it a little bit in context of the country reaching this peace deal with FARC and ultimately turning FARC into a political party, which it did through the peace deal. And so that story to date, I think, is one of the, the stories I'm the most proud of it really sort of tested my skill set as a journalist. It tested my skill set as a writer. Not only was it a personal story and it was an emotional experience, but it also was a lot of work as an investigative reporter to go there and to report on the political situation and what was happening and to sort of marry the two of this personal story and what was going on in the country into one article that was read well and was clear and engaging. And so I started this newsletter during the pandemic as just a way to reach readers that are interested in Unearthed Women. And uh, I really wanted to sort of bring that story back to life, particularly in light of the protests that are going on in Colombia right now. I shared it recently via my newsletter. And yeah, it's one of those things that I'm just, I'm so proud of. And I'm so proud of the work that went into it. And I'm so proud of the result that came out of it. And so I just wanted to kind of give it new eyeballs and share it with readers that probably didn't know I ever wrote this because it was written back in 2016. Right. I understand. And we'll link to the specific story that we're talking about here. So for our listeners, Definitely go check it out. It's an incredibly uh, well-written story. And, you know, I think you absolutely should be proud of it, Nikki. You know, and at the end of the story, you said that you were sort of no closer to understanding what really happened to your great aunt. And to me, I thought that was just so powerful because it really highlights the complexity of our world and the in-betweenness and the gray areas that we seem to often want to have conclusions and clear cuts, perhaps outcomes. And the world is just not like that, right? And I I thought that story just illustrated that so powerfully. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, you know, when the story ended, that was really kind of what I was going for that, you know, I, I went to Bogota, I tried to sort of look into the circumstances around this mysterious death that I had sort of grown up with. And, and there was all these different versions and rumors surrounding it. And the the more I dug into it and the deeper I got and sort of peeled back these layers, the more complicated it gets because it's it's not cut and dry. And it's not so black and white as what I thought it was growing up, which is FARC are bad and and that's it. And you know, in the article I actually I go into I go to meet an ex-FARC fighter who at that point in time was going through a reintegration process into society. And um, that really was a powerful moment because I'm sort of sitting opposite this person that represents all of the misfortune that my family has experienced and that irrevocably changed the courses of so many lives in my family. And, And I'm talking to her 
And I'm realizing sort of in that moment that what led her to be part of this organization wasn't malice. It wasn't, it wasn't anything more than survival. She was a little girl who was a child recruit and, and so much of FARC fighters are actually, you know, they were women and she joined it for no greater reason than security, a place to sleep, someone to feed her. And that was it. And her life was also irrevocably changed and not for the better by joining this organization. So it, it really, you know, when it sort of ends, there was no other way to end the story than to just sort of throw your hands up in the air and be like, well, this is Columbia. It makes no sense. There's no rhyme or reason. Yes, like like so many of challenging situations around the world, right? Yeah. You know, you have a really amazing resume. Thank I looked you. yes, I looked at some of your work and in, in preparation to this conversation and your stories have appeared in places like Vice and Zagat and other publications. You you mentioned working for Culture Trip and you also worked as an editor at Atlas Obscura, another great publication. Your magazine, Unearthed Women, has been featured in the New York Times, Good Morning America, and uh, all these other places. So I'm curious, did you always know that you wanted to work at this sort of intersection of travel and stories? Or, or was that something that was a more recent realization? I always knew I wanted to write. I've always um, had a passion and affinity for writing since I was a little girl keeping journals. But it took me a little while to sort of figure out in what capacity I wanted to write. So I studied journalism in college. I moved to New York to try to pursue journalism. And while I was kind of having that early 20-something New York experience and kind of stumbling around and getting my footing... I kept finding myself being drawn to travel writing and the idea of like just the freedom and the adventure that that promised. And at the time I was following all of these travel bloggers and a lot of them were kind of um, pioneers because at that time travel blogging wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. It wasn't, you know, right now there are so many travel bloggers, but at that point in time, it was still kind of a relatively new space. And the idea that someone could make a living as a travel blogger and travel the world was kind of crazy and unheard of. And so I was following this crop of travel bloggers like Brooke Sayward of World of Wanderlust, who's one of the pioneers. And I was really just inspired by it. Like I just, you know, I just really wanted to pursue that. And so I started my own travel blog. You know, at that time, I was having trouble landing a job in New York. I was kind of, I was working in advertising, which wasn't the plan. I was trying to be a journalist and nobody was hiring. And so to kind of keep building my career in writing, even though I wasn't working on staff at a publication, I figured I would just start travel blogging. And that really carried me through a lot of my 20s because it allowed me to travel the world. It allowed me to to see places that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to see or or been able to afford to see. By virtue of just writing, I was able to go to Borneo, go to India, do all of these things. But, you know, to answer your question, my style of writing really started to evolve as I got older. And what started out as just the typical travel blog of let me talk about me and how I feel in the context of this place. The older I got, the more that I got sick of just kind of writing about myself. And I wanted to write about 
real stories that mattered and people's experiences and and things that I felt like needed a platform. And that's really kind of what became the basis for Unearth Woman is that that sort of, I guess, maturing in my writing and that transition from these sort of diary entry type of blog posts about just all focused on my experience and my view to then sort of turning the spotlight outward and being like, you know what, I'm going, I'm much more interested now in hearing what these local people have to say or what the political situation is in Colombia or what, what the presidential election is in France, you know, and these are all stories that are important. And, and that's sort of where I am today with my writing is it's kind of evolved into this place of much more altruistic writing and giving platform and voice to other people. No, definitely. And, and I love that you bring this up because this is a sort of discussion that I often find myself in, particularly in places like Clubhouse, which, you know, I've been, I've been sort of speaking and engaging a lot in that platform. And people often ask me, what is that difference between a travel blogger and a travel journalist? And I think you just put it so nicely, right? It's that focus on your personal experience somewhere and, and your personal perspective versus uncovering stories of people and Places and political situations that exist somewhere. So for me, even though the lines, I feel like the lines are quite blurry in some of this, you know, because journalists can be content creators and influencers and bloggers and vice versa. But by and large, that's sort of the way I approach it as well. So I, it's great that you brought this up too. Yeah, I think that exactly to your point, the lines are definitely blurring. And I think right now where we're at sort of as a society is we're kind of at this point where it's almost unacceptable now to sort of move around the world and only look at things through your own eyes. You know, we're getting to this point as a society and as a culture that it's so important to spotlight the other experience to spotlight people that might not ever have a spotlight to give platform to marginalized communities to lift the voices of people that are discriminated against and people who have blogs who have social media following who have these platforms it's becoming more and more of a responsibility to do that and so i think you know to your point those lines continue to blur whereas i now see travel bloggers today that they do basically exactly what a travel journalist or travel writer does. They're doing reporting, they're interviewing people on the road, they're telling other people's stories, and they rarely talk about themselves and their experiences. And to that point, I see travel bloggers that are just like the ones that I saw 10 years ago, which is, you know, it's just a personal journey and personal diary of their own evolution in context of travel. I think both are completely fine. Both are appropriate. I just find in my own personal career that I've sort of outgrown that style of writing. So you mentioned your career. So I'm curious, how does one go from having a job in advertising to then working as an editor and eventually launching her own travel magazine? So for me, the bridge really was freelance writing. You know, as I mentioned, I kind of stumbled into advertising accidentally. It never was the plan. And it was only meant to sort of be like a one-year thing while I was applying for jobs elsewhere. And it ended up being four years. And I was sort of getting further and further away from what I wanted to do, which was write and edit. And so because I couldn't find the job that I wanted, I decided to just create it. And it was a very like field of dreams mentality, like build it and it will come. 
I just started freelance writing. I started blogging on the side and I started working hard to really just create a a name for myself in that industry. Advertising in many ways helped it because, for example, one of my first big bylines was for Food and Wine Magazine. And that came as a direct result of working with the Food and Wine sales team, who then put me in touch with the editorial team and were like, hey, we have someone who's interested in writing. So never underestimate, I guess, the, the connections. Even if you're not exactly in the industry you want to be in, there might be an opportunity to sort of bridge over to it. And then eventually, you know, with enough sort of freelance writing under my belt and my blog had gotten to a point where I had, you know, worked with brands and I had done some great stories, I felt like I had sort of accumulated enough experience that I could apply for these jobs. And I started to, and I just sort of threw my hat in the ring. I got lucky by landing, you know, the travel editor position at Culture Trip, which had just opened its New York office. And once I was an on-staff travel editor, that really opened the doors for me because once it's sort of like once you're in, you're in. And from there, I was able to, you know, move over to Alice Obscura. From there, I was able to move over to the infatuation. And really all of that kind of gave me the skill set needed to launch on Earth Women. Yes. I love the story that you just told because I think or at least that was my, my experience starting in this industry. I very naively thought that I don't need anybody. I don't need any connections. I can make it on my own. And very quickly, I learned that that's not the case. You do need connections. And oftentimes, that can be a way in. When there's no one you know in the industry, when you're trying to break into it and you have no portfolio to speak of, then oftentimes having that connection can be what you know sort of makes or breaks it. Because for me, one of my first bylines in a far magazine was sort of in a similar way. A bit different story. I was engaging with them on Instagram, just posting their hashtag and really engaging with their community. And they reached out to me to do like an Instagram specific project. And then I mentioned that I'm also interested in writing and they put me in touch with the editorial team. So you just never know. And, and, and if you don't ask and if you don't reach out, you will never know what the outcome could be. So exactly. And I, you know, I, what I love about both of our stories is I think that I used to be very, I used to be very concerned, especially when I was in advertising that I was never going to be able to transition into what I wanted to do. And I guess the way, the reason I felt that is because there were people that were going about it in the traditional way. There were people that graduated journalism school. They got a job as an editorial assistant. They worked their way up to associate editor. They became a senior editor from there. And they, you know, they moved on with their career. And during college, they were interning at different publications and they had sort of followed the book. And I didn't. I I was kind of all over the map. You know, when I left college, I didn't have that sort of ladder climb. I ended up going into a different job entirely and that wasn't the plan. And it was sort of very kind of, I like to joke that I took the scenic route in my career to get to where I wanted to go because I was, I, I just went everywhere. And I think that's a, you know, I think that's something kind of worth remembering for people listening that are maybe hoping to do this and they feel like they've strayed too far or they didn't do it the right way. I don't think there's a right way to do it because there are people that didn't study journalism that, you know, they graduated and they went out into the world and then 10 years later they started a blog and now here they are. 
I know people that are writers, bona fide journalists, on staff editors, and they were doing something completely unrelated beforehand. So, you know, it really, I don't think there's a right way to go about entering this industry. I think my biggest advice to anyone is to just start, you know, just start writing, start pitching, start reaching out to editors, just, just take that first step. Oh, I love that, Nikki. I love that so much. That's exactly what I say all the time, too, that taking action and starting is how you're going to get anywhere, really. Exactly. You're so right, because it's, you know, no one is going to, no one's going to invite you to become an editor. No editor is going to reach out to you and invite you to be a freelance writer. No one's going to ask you to join this press trip. Like, no one's ever going to come to you. So if you just sit there and wait for things to happen, it will never happen. You have to take the initiative. And that's really what my entire 20s was. It was just chasing opportunity like a dog chasing a ball. And some of it worked out and a lot of it didn't. But in the end, it kind of got me to where I needed to go. Absolutely. And and I think what you said is so important that there is no right path because really, I mean, I, I didn't have a traditional path into this as well. And the only thing I had was just this belief that this is what I want to do. I had this fire that I, I want to tell stories. I want to travel. I want to un- uncover different places in the world. And, and that's really all I had. And I think if you have that deep belief that the work that you're trying to do deserves to be out there in the world. That's almost like uh, half of the success uh, right there, you know, having that conviction that what you want to create deserves to exist. And, And often that's what you need to start that initial push and to take action and to make that happen for you. So I love that. You know, in one of your interviews, you have mentioned that the magazine, which we're going to get into the magazine in a bit too, and the story of that. But you mentioned that Unearthed Women, first and foremost, is a celebration of women. And I just love that so much. That resonates with me a lot, being that we're on a Genius Women podcast. But I'm curious to know who are the women that have sort of inspired you in the travel space and maybe even beyond and how did they impact you to arrive at the point of launching the unearthed women platform yeah i mean so many i honestly it's a combination of the women that we all know in the industry the women that are like paving the way like unika raymond or vita robinson you know these are women that entered an industry that is historically white, that historically is male operated, and and has a tendency to kind of marginalize a lot of communities. And they saw an opportunity to shake it up, and they are. And that, you know, that's obviously very inspiring. Anytime a woman enters a field that the odds are stacked against them, and they just start to kick over obstacles one by one. I mean, that's, you know, that's really, really inspiring for me. But the other part too, is that, you know, when you travel, you also meet such incredible women on the road. And again, these are women that a lot of times their stories aren't told and it's, and you would never hear about it because it's such a local story. You know, for example, we had one freelance writer do an article for Unearthed Woman about a young woman in Belize who is one of the only drum makers in this region. And it ends up that her father was this, you know, he was this sort of well-known, renowned, like, maker of drums for this particular kind of drum that's, like, very, it's very unique to, like, Belizean culture. And 
when her father got too old, she took over the craft. And what's interesting about it is that women don't usually do that. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of the first to do that and to the first to sort of make waves by being a woman taking over this predominantly like male art and things like that. Like these sort of like little kind of like gems hidden around the world of women that are both in small and big ways changing the status quo. And I think that's really kind of what it comes down to for me. It's that Yes, you have the kind of big, splashy, like CEO women that are, you know, really kicking over obstacles, but you also have women all over the world that are making big changes for women in their local community, whether they're opening the first, you know, woman run restaurant in their town or they're finding a woman community in a, you know, historically male run society. I mean, all of these stories exist everywhere. And the concept of that kind of ties really closely to what Unearth Woman is. Because at the end of the day, Unearth Woman is sort of rooted in the idea that travelers are uniquely positioned to support and help women wherever they go. And the reason being is that as a traveler, as someone with a amount of influence, whether it's just telling friends and family what you did on your trip, or whether it's going on Instagram and telling your followers, you have an ability to both influence how people visit a destination and also influence how people spend money at a destination. And if you're using that influence to point people in the direction of women-run businesses, to point people in the direction of female-run organizations, to shine light on local women that are doing cool things, that makes a difference. And so that's sort of the concept of Unearth Women is that it's really just about uplifting women, shining light on women-run organizations and businesses, and showing travelers how to support women when they travel. I love it. I love that so much. And for our listeners, if you haven't yet, but I'm sure you've heard of the magazine, but definitely go check it out. We're going to link to all the resources uh, in the show notes as well. And what you just said uh, really resonated with me that it's shining a spotlight not only on all of these incredible stars, women CEOs and such, but also on women who are much more accessible to us, who are doing incredible things, right? I think that in our own way, all of us women are doing incredible things every day and trying to operate in a man's world and pave our own paths And sometimes that's even more inspiring when you see women like you doing things like that. For me, at least, Genius Women was always built on that concept. With the Lean In concept, perhaps I'm never going to interview her because she's not as accessible to most of us listening, right? But I will interview amazing women who are just like me, who are doing incredible things. And I think sometimes that's even more powerful because then you're like, I can really do this. I, I see this, you know, I see this in my path. So I love that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's sort of showing that change can happen in both big and small ways. And I think it's, I think so often, and I get like this too, you know, there's a, it can be very easy to sort of feel like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of doing this? Like, who's reading it? Who cares? You know, what's the point of pushing this idea up the hill when something like an afar exists or travel and leisure exists and they're doing a good job at it? So why does this need to exist? And 
And I think the answer is sort of what you just said. It's, you know, the point being is that you can make change in big and small ways. And even if it's not a global change, like someone who's running Facebook, it can still matter that change. And even if it's just a small community change and inspiring friends and family to support women or lifting up the voice of a, of a woman in another country who has a great story to tell or shining light on an organization that people don't know to support, that's still positive change that you're creating. And I think, you know, that's, it's worth pursuing that. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think we're not often as aware of the impact that, that we make on other people, you know, and, and unless, unless they sort of share it perhaps or tell us. But I think that that impact can be huge. And even if it's on a small community of people, that's still an, an incredible impact that you're making in that community. So that's, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Hey friends, I'm interrupting myself here for a quick second to let you know that I've created a brand new resource just for you. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast and want to start pitching your travel stories, go to geniuswomen.com pitch to get access to my private pop-up podcast of three short episodes that reveal the secrets of successful pitching. That's geniuswomen.com P-I-T-C-H. Okay, back to this episode. You know, what I want to get into next is sort of a bit of the story of Unearthed Women, the magazine, because by gosh, it is so difficult to launch a print magazine in today's space. And your story was one of a very uh, meteoric rise with Unearthed Women. But what I want to hear is some of the challenges that you had to go through launching it. It took me a while to get to the point that I can sort of, you know, talk about the meteoric rise and the lessons and everything that sort of happened. Because at the end of the day, I know they say that business is just business, but when it's your own thing and it's your own, you know, your own startup, it's so emotional and it, it doesn't feel like business. It feels very personal. Yeah, it took me a little while to, to be able to talk about it. But essentially, you know, Unearthed Woman, when the idea came to me, I, at the time, I, I, w- I had just been laid off um, along with half the editorial staff from the job that I was working at. And so I was lost. I was kind of, you know, didn't really know what to do with myself. But I, I always wanted to have my own publication. And that was something that, you know, I've sort of, it was a dream of mine that had existed for years prior, but the idea just never sort of, you know, coalesced. And then when I had the idea of Unearth Women, the concept was really to unearth women's stories. And that's sort of where the name comes from. And so the first step I did was I assembled a team of women that I've worked with, that I am close with, that I admire who believed in the idea. And we sort of set out to launch a Kickstarter and to see if we can actually create a first issue. And so the Kickstarter, we met our goal, which was great. We had just enough money to pull together a first issue to sell independently via unearthwomen.com, which by that point we had launched a digital site. For that first issue, we put vice correspondent Isabel Young on the cover um, who is someone that I had had the pleasure of uh, knowing and interviewing in the past. 
And, and we started to pull together this issue that kind of represented everything we wanted Earth Women to be. And the magazine is thematic. So each issue centers around a unifying theme. And the first issue was centered around the idea of resilience. Mm-hmm. And each story in the issue was about a woman and, and tied to the idea of the resilience in women. And it turned out beautifully, this issue. And when we printed it, we printed out maybe, you know, a couple hundred copies, like a relatively small batch. And we decided to host a launch party here in New York and invite a combination of friends and press and people in the industry to just sort of introduce the concept and sort of get people excited. And at that point, we had no plans for a second issue. You know, we hoped to do it, but money wasn't there. And and we were just sort of taking everything step by step. We were kind of building the plane as we were flying it. And after that first issue came out, the floodgates kind of opened and we had this incredible meteoric rise because when I look back, it feels like it all happened in a week, but realistically (laughs) it was probably like maybe three months, but what felt like a week, we went from having this first issue to then being approached by distributors who wanted to sell the issue in stores. So then we went from this independently sold magazine to now having a magazine sold in over 800 Barnes and Noble locations across the country and independent bookstores across Canada and Europe. We got an onslaught of press. So we got an article in the New York Times. We were featured in Good Morning America. We were featured in Travel and Leisure. And and so seemingly just everything happened at once. We got an investor who gave us a small investment that allowed us to sort of create future issues. So now all of a sudden we had some money to actually keep moving forward. And uh, this was a really exciting time in the process because it really kind of felt like there was no way we could possibly fail because it just sort of felt like all the doors in the world had flung open and everyone was like, please step right in. We ran with it. You know, we released the second issue. It went international. We were in stores. It was so exciting to see this in stores. We continued to grow. We had the investor. We were doing, we immediately when we had issue two go out the door to the printers, we immediately began on issue three. We had a nice photo shoot. Everything, everything was really exciting. And the lessons that I sort of look back and I realized was that we were moving too fast. And and the thing about it is that we had almost, I had almost sort of entered a state of like being manic. It was almost this like idea that if I don't keep running, I'm going to lose momentum and drop the ball. So I just kept running and running and running because in the very beginning, that's what worked. We had run without an idea of where we were going. We were putting out a magazine without an idea of where we were going to get the money to do the next issue. And it worked. So this idea of sort of, you know, run hard and, and run fast, we kind of stuck with. And what ended up happening was that we outspent ourselves and and I mean that in every sense of the word. We outspent ourselves emotionally. We we outspent ourselves financially. And we really just burned the candle on both ends. And so when issue four was finalized and ready to send to the printers, we just kind of hit a brick wall. And the same way that 
everything sort of took off in a metaphorical way in the beginning was the same way that it sort of hit a brick wall. And it sort of felt like it all happened at once. You know, our printer went out of business, our distributor went out of business, our funding sort of, you know, dried up. And suddenly we were just, we just sort of had reached the end of the road. And it was really hard. You know, at that point in time, we released issue four digitally because we owed it to the writers. We owed it to the people that were involved. But it broke my heart not being able to print it and and to pull out of bookstores. And that that was really hard. And looking back, you know, there's a lot of lessons that I process. There's a lot of questions that I ask myself, things like, why was it necessary to expand to 800 Barnes & Noble locations? You know, looking back, that didn't make sense. We were a small publication that had gained following in New York, and it would have made sense to maybe expand to a handful of bookstores in New York and maybe in surrounding states like Connecticut and Pennsylvania and sort of see how we do before going national, let alone international. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, I was just so excited and so overwhelmed and, and, all of the big swings that I took were working. So I just I kept sort of swinging. Now where things stand is, you know, there's definitely been a, a period of sort of recovery emotionally, mentally, financially. And now we're at the point where we're reevaluating the magazine. You know, we're very, we finally were able to print issue four and to finally get those physical copies out the door, which felt so good. And we're exploring releasing a brand new issue later this year and just sort of doing things at a more thoughtful pace is kind of the lesson learned. And, and the larger realization being that, you know, it took me a long time to realize that just because the magazine had paused, just because we pulled out of bookstores does not mean that Unearthed Women had died. And that took me a long time to recognize that, the mission of Unearthed Women is to tell stories. And it doesn't matter if those stories are told in email, in podcast, in a physical magazine, or on a website. What matters is that they're being told. And really, at the end of the day, I was the only one that perceived what happened as a failure. And it wasn't. It was a pivot. And that happens all the time. And there are, there are publications much more well-funded and and much more of a legacy brand than Unearthed Women that have folded their publications and they still continue to to grow. And so that's sort of where things are today. I, I love I love this uh, story so much because it just uncovers so many of the struggles that I think creative entrepreneurs like ourselves go through. And something that you said about you seeing it as a failure, I think women in general are more hardwired to be so hard on themselves and to keep them to such high standards that I can totally see how it was easy for you to, to see it as a failure, where uh, in fact, it was simply a pivot and a growing pain and a lesson, you know, that, that's really resonating with me, what you, what you said there. Absolutely. What you said is right. I, I, I do see that a lot, you know, sort of in the aftermath of what happened with the magazine, I've connected with other female entrepreneurs and, and the common denominator seems to be that we are all incredibly harsh on ourselves. Mm. And you're right. You know, it's, I remember, 
I remember sitting and drafting the email to everyone, you know, readers, subscribers, writers, everyone saying that we were basically putting the magazine on pause and that we weren't going to be able to print issue four. And I remember the amount of anxiety I felt in sending that email. Like Mm -hmm. I just felt, I, I felt like I had let everyone around me down and I was so hard on myself really just devastatingly hard on myself. And in the end, when I finally mustered up the courage to send that email, the response was like, that's fine, whatever. As long as we still see the stories, oh, the website's up, great. You know, there maybe there were some responses that were like, oh, I, you know, I loved the magazine so much, but I, if I can get it digitally, okay. You know, it's like at the end of the day, the only person that was like living and dying by this physical magazine existing was me. And, and no one else, (laughs) you know, there were people that, yeah, there were people that loved it and loved holding it and loved having it on their coffee table, but they weren't like, they didn't like spit in my face because I dared to discontinue printing and move to digital. And I think that, you know, that's also something too, that, that I've sort of been learning, looking back on all of it is that you can really be your own worst enemy in this process. And there's just so many things that I wish I wish if I could go back in time and talk to myself at the beginning of this journey, I wish I could have told myself to just move slow, be thoughtful, mm-hmm. be mindful. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking a beat to evaluate the next step. No one's expecting you to jump headfirst and not consider what that move might mean. And so much of the decisions I made early on in Unearth Women were out of fear you know, Mm -hmm. out of fear of missing an opportunity, out of fear of letting people down, out of fear of not being taken seriously, out of fear of falling behind. It was all made out of fear. And that is not a good business model. No, but you know what? I feel like a lot of my experiences have shown me that we are operating in such a capitalistic, fear-driven world that a lot of times we are sort of, there, there is no other way for us to operate, to succeed in that model, unless we start breaking out of those stereotypes. And that's why I'm excited to have conversations like these, right? Because even this conversation is going to advance some of that a little bit and say, hey, there is a different approach to doing work that matters, that is not driven by fear, is not driven by you know, we have to prove quickly the scalability of this, the success of this. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. All of that to me is such a capitalistic and actually male-oriented way to do work that I'm excited that there is a different way and conversations like this are part of it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, everything you said just like hit the nail on the head. I think that there is, especially because things move so fast in in today's world, I mean, you know, with social media and and everything, it's just, it, there's this sense that if you don't act now, if you don't move now, if you don't make, you know, if you don't, if you don't do something at this very minute, you're going to miss your window. And that's part of it. You know, again, like going back to fear, it's like, there was such a fear that like, oh my God, we have a good idea here. What if somebody else like jumps on this idea and they have more money and more connections than we do, we lose it. And that was a real thing. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's something that I still struggle with. You know, I, I still kind of struggle with this, 
comparison that I tend to do with where other people are in their careers and how other people are living their lives on social media. And although I realize, like I, I understand that it's all perception. It's all, it's all bullshit. I still struggle with it. I still tend to look at other people and I, and I think, oh my God, I am falling behind or I'm not living up to expectation or I'm letting people down. And it's sad. It's really sad because I see that with everyone I know, and it doesn't, you know, people that I admire and people that I, I consider to be top of their game, redefining the industry, like, you know, making strides for women and they suffer from insecurity and imposter syndrome because they're constantly comparing themselves to what others are doing. Again, I'm going to say something here that may be a bit, I guess, unorthodox or something, but I have this view and, and I've only recently started feeling this way, you know, actually after starting Genius Women and starting on this path, that that in itself, that comparison game is a way to keep women specifically small and insecure and not advancing to more leadership positions in our world. Because it's almost like in the middle centuries when women banding together and women supporting each other were dangerous. It's, you know, witchcraft. Uh, we have to protect against that. I feel like there's some parallels there here as well, because imagine the world in which every single one of us feels bold, feels supported, feels exactly where she needs to be in this moment of time. What different decisions we would have made if we felt like that all the time. You know, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a different world. It would be a completely different world, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, thinking about Unearthed Women today and the platform and how it's evolved, what kinds of stories are you most excited about to to publish and to create for the magazine? And are you open to working with uh, new writers that you haven't worked with before to reach out to you as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, where things are now with Unearthed Women, we're it's a pretty exciting time because we, so we have a book coming out. We, in, in sort of during our meteoric rise, when everything was sort of happening at once, one of the things to happen was that we got a book deal with Penguin Random House. And, and that's super exciting. And this is something that we've been working on now for almost two years and it's coming out in the spring. And basically this book is, um, it's a collaborative effort that focuses on the entire thing that the entire platform of unearth women in the sense that it focuses on how to support women on your travels, how to travel as a woman today. It takes into consideration some of the things that guidebooks don't necessarily address. And also it talks about supporting women. You know, it talks about building your own feminist city guide, how to find women owned businesses, how to support women led organizations and the book really brings together all of these voices in the travel industry. And, you know, of course, as we know, there's no way to write an all-encompassing how to travel as a woman today type of book without, you know, bringing in voices of other people. I have mm -hmm. one experience. I can only speak to my experience. But we have women that talk about traveling as part of the LGBTQIA community. We have women talking about traveling as a woman of color. And so... I'm really excited about this book and I am very curious to see sort of where this takes us because obviously this book coming out from Penguin Random House, it allows us to reach 
a whole new audience that, you know, we may not be reaching right now. I'm eager to see sort of what doors that opens. And so because we have this book coming out, my hope, my goal, my wish is to try to release a new issue of Unearthed Woman later this year to sort of coincide with the release of the book. The idea being that if we're going to have this book coming out and people are going to now know about Unearthed Woman, that when they come to sort of, you know, investigate and see what we're about, that we'll have a new issue and we'll have some exciting new content and that there will be things there that are new and fresh for them to enjoy and hopefully fall in love with the brand. And so in a very long-winded way, the answer to your question is yes, we are currently accepting freelance submissions for the digital site. And also as we sort of look to release a new issue at some point during the year, we're going to make an announcement for opening submissions for the next print issue of the magazine. And all of that is really in an effort to sort of boost up the Unearthed Woman brand, the magazine, and the website in preparation for the release of the book. Amazing. That's so wonderful to hear. And and for our listeners, we're going to link to your submission guidelines too. So take a look at those. They are pretty amazing and very detailed. So you'll get a better idea of uh, what types of stories Nikki and her team are looking for as well. Uh, you mentioned your book, you're running Unearthed Women platform, and you also do your editorial work in other publications. And I also learned that you're producing a true crime documentary, which is just amazing. This is a really random <laughs> project. I mean, I guess, you know, like, I could give you like the, you know, like the salesy spin and be like, oh, well, you know, I like to tell women's stories. So here I am telling women's stories in in documentary form. This is a completely accidental thing that we sort of, so my boyfriend is a documentary filmmaker and to just sort of give you a little bit of context. So I guess it's not entirely out of the blue, but during the pandemic, as with everybody else, we've had ample free time on our hands. And we were having a conversation with friends one day and the conversation centered around the idea of the milk carton program, which for those who may not be familiar with in the 80s in America, there was something called the milk carton program where when children who disappeared, their missing images were printed on milk cartons. And this obviously predates the internet. So this was at a time when families desperate to find their kids were trying to spread awareness. And what better way to spread awareness than to print these images on one of the most ubiquitous items ever, which is milk. So this program had a lot of pushback. You know, some people were really disturbed by the fact that there were missing kid posters on their milk carton while they were having cereal. Other people saw the benefit, but largely it was considered a failure because not a lot of kids were recovered from it. So all of this is to say that when we were looking into the milk carton program, the idea to do a documentary about it because surprisingly there is not a documentary about this came about. And so we happened to get in touch with some children, now adults that actually were milk carton kids. They had been kidnapped or they had been abducted and they were found as a direct result of having their face on a milk carton. And what's so interesting is that these stories haven't been told. And a lot of these stories are actually of of women. So, so this is sort of where we're at now. We're in the very early phases of 
producing this documentary. We've partnered with Unrealistic Ideas, which is the production company belonging to the actor Mark Wahlberg. They released a documentary called McMillions, which was nominated for an Emmy. And so they've come on board to help us produce this documentary. And yeah, right now it's really early days, but I'm really, really excited about this. I've actually been pretty, pretty quiet about it. So, so stay tuned. At some point, I'm going to like fly out of the gates and be like, this is what I've been working on. And I'm so excited because I have such a, like, I love true crime. I mm-hmm. When I'm not doing Earth Woman stuff, I'm listening to true crime podcasts and watching true crime docs. Like I'm obsessed with true crime. So this is like such an exciting project for me to be working on. And I'm just itching to tell everyone about it. It's an exciting thing. <laughs> That's incredible. But my question to you is actually how, how do you balance all of these different things that you're working on? And more specifically, I hear this sometimes that there is this train of thought that you have to do one thing and do it well. I know that a lot of us in this industry are actually drawn to more than one creative project because I'm like that too. You know, I have genius women. I work with publications. I have a travel company. And so I'm excited when I meet other people who have lots of different things going on. So my question is, what would you say to someone who feels drawn to be creating in the world in different ways, but sometimes feels like that maybe is looked badly upon? Maybe you need to focus on just one thing to be successful. What would you say to them? I think you just have to do what you're passionate about. I mean, at the end of the day, after everything that went down with Unearth Woman, after everything that we've all been living through and and many are still living through in terms of the pandemic and quarantine, I just want to do what makes me excited, what what mm-hmm. I feel, you know, gets me jumping out of bed in the morning. And You know, the fact is, is that I, I don't really balance it, to be honest. Whoever tells you they're balancing everything, I mean, is lying because there are, there are, there are weeks where I don't touch unearth women. I'm not going to lie to you. There are weeks, you know, where I, that entire week I am working on other projects. I'm doing stuff for the doc. I'm doing a freelance article, whatever it is. I'm, I'm right now trying to pitch a second book so I can you know, hopefully get that in the can. So there are weeks where I'm just doing everything but Unearth Woman. And then there are weeks where all I'm doing is Unearth Woman and I'm not doing any of the other stuff. And I just, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just going back to basics in terms of going back to what makes me happy and what makes me passionate. And again, this this is coming out of this Unearth Woman experience, the magazine, everything. What I really realized is that I just want to go back to passion. Unearth Woman started as a passion project. It took off and flew into outer space because of passion, because I believed it so much and I chased it out of this world that it shot out into the stratosphere and it became what it is. And that's so exciting to me. And I want to see where these other things end up. You know, right now I'm really passionate about this documentary. I want to see where that takes me. I told you that we have the book coming out. I want to ride the momentum of this book coming out to see if I could get another book deal for another book idea that I've had. And so, you know, from the outside looking in, it might seem a little scattered. It might seem a little like, Jesus, how do you sleep at night? And I guess the short answer to your question is I sleep fine because I don't worry about balancing. I just sort of 
whatever the day requires. You know, if I, I wake up today and today I have, I woke up to like a bunch of emails about the doc. So today I'm focusing on the documentary tomorrow. I'll wake up and it might be a different day tomorrow. I might wake up and just work on Unearthed woman. And the day after I might focus on a freelance article I'm working on for cosmopolitan right now. So there, there is no balance. I'm just sort of doing what needs to be done on that day. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. And, and I think also it's perhaps about releasing expectations that something needs to progress at a certain pace, because I think that's part of that feeling pressure that I, I'm not working on Unearthed Women this week. Every week I have to be working on something a little bit to progress it. Maybe if you release that expectation and just sort of, to your point, focus on the passion and let things unfold as they are, which is, again, I think a more this feminine, intuitive approach to doing things, which I just love so much, then some of that pressure is going to be released. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Exactly. I think the other thing too, and this is this is a big lesson that I would love like listeners to take away, is that... You know, when you put all of your eggs in one basket, you really live and die by that basket. With Unearth Woman, when it was the be-all, end-all, when it was the only thing I was working on, the only thing that was occupying my brain space, it felt like life or death. It really did because I was demanding it to pay the bills. I was demanding it to, to meet the moment. You know, and, and when you put that such intense pressure on a project, particularly one that's young and, and an infant and it's blossoming, I mean, it's like if you can picture a flower, like a new flower sort of popping out of the dirt and then you just dump a giant bucket of water on it. I mean, you completely drown it. You know, it's like you have to you have to sort of let these things grow at their own pace and that's what I did with Unearth Woman. I jumped a giant bathtub of water on top of a fledgling flower and it drowned. And it's not dead. It's, you know, it's sprouting up again. But the lesson there being that I find, at least for me, when I don't have all my eggs in one basket, when I have other things that I'm working on that I'm excited about, the pressure is not on one thing to succeed. It's not on one thing to pay the bills. It's not on one thing to, to be my career. You know, right now I have Unearth Woman and that's a great, and that's exciting. And I love working on it, but I also have my freelance writing and I love that too. And, and I have money from that and I have stories that I'm excited on for that. And I have this documentary and that's exciting and I'm excited to see where it takes me. So I don't feel like it spreads me thin. If anything, I feel like it keeps me mentally sound and stable because there are other there's other irons on the fire here. If the book idea that I have for the second book deal doesn't happen, okay, well then I have these other things going on. And if Unearth Woman, you know, hits a quiet streak and nothing's going on over there, well then I have the dock. And if the dock for whatever reason, I don't know, if something happens with the dock, then I have these other things. So I find it it keeps me sane to know that I don't have to live or die by one idea. I love that. I love that so much. And that's the approach that I take with my work as well. So I can totally relate to that. That's uh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you'll see too. I mean, look, I, I have, I've both worked with and interviewed so many people in the travel space. 
And the one thing that I always am impressed by, because I've actually asked this exact question to other women that I've interviewed, (laughs) how do you do it all? How do you balance it all? At the end of the day, everyone is hustling and everyone is diversifying their projects and revenue streams. And that is the biggest thing. When I used to interview these travel bloggers in my early 20s, and I'd be like, how, how do you make a living off of this? And I would look for some like magical answer. And there wasn't one. They diversified their revenue stream. They weren't just travel blogging. They were travel blogging and doing an e-commerce store and freelance writing and waitressing on the side that they just didn't share that on social media. Like there's so much hustling and diversification of revenue streams here. And it makes sense. It makes sense because there are so many creative people in the world today. It's really, really hard to carve out a living off of just one creative endeavor. Yes. And and what I always say too, is that do whatever it takes, whatever you need to do to keep building the vision that you have for your own creative life. And there is no shame in supporting yourself with all these different things. And it doesn't make you less of a creator. It doesn't make you any less valid in this field if you have all these different things going on. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up. Thank you for saying that. I have to just I have to just say thank you for what you just said because when I was in my 20s <laughs> and I used to feel so guilty and like crappy about myself because I was doing other work beyond my passion. Like even like even when I was in advertising and I was trying to be a freelance writer and launch my writing career and get into travel like editorial jobs, I used to feel like Like I was wasting my time. Like I'm not a real writer. I'm not a real editor. I'm not a real journalist because I have a nine to five job at an advertising firm. And I felt crappy about it. And it took me such a long time to realize that it's because of that job. It's because of the regular paycheck and the benefits and the health insurance that I got from that job that I was even able to become a freelance writer and pursue these passions. So That's something that like, I feel like especially young people who listen to this need to realize that you, you make your life so much harder when you just throw yourself into whatever it is you're passionate about and expect it to pay your bills and get you health insurance and cover the rent. It may not work that way. And that's okay. It's okay to have a nine to five or to bartend or to do whatever it takes to support yourself while you're building this passion. That's what it means to hustle. Yes. Oh my God, Nikki, I think this is like, we need to cut this and put this into every single episode. We have to put this everywhere. So people hear this all the time. That's such an important message. I I, I know. Yeah. I feel like you should just like cut this part and make it the trailer. Just like, I need it to be, I need, I need it as my own ringtone because I forget this all the time. Like this is what it means to hustle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Same, same. Right. We, we need this reminder as well, for sure. Oh yeah. my goodness. I feel like we, we can, we can go for another hour because uh, there's I know. a lots of good stuff that I still want to ask you and I didn't get to ask you, but I think I want to close with these two things. First, I'm curious. I think I mentioned this earlier that a lot of people that listen to the show they have creative aspirations they want to do something incredible with the stories that they want to tell particularly in the travel space 
I know from experience that when you first start in the space, it can be so intimidating because, again, you know, maybe you don't have the traditional background or maybe you don't see a lot of people around you doing what you want to be doing. So beyond saying just start, which is what we say, right? How do you overcome that fear? What has helped you to make a move and to get going when you're first starting, when you don't have that big portfolio, when you don't know anybody in the industry? What would you say to these people? Just talking to other people, networking, listening and having conversations like what we're having right now. That really helps because I think that when you're starting out, the people that are at the top of the industry, they feel like they feel like gods. They feel like they're so far away and out of yes. reach and that their careers are so enviable that it just feels like to draw a line from point A to point B, from where you are to where they are, it feels daunting and it feels impossible. And that's really disheartening. But what I find is when you have these kind of conversations, like the ones we're having now, you realize that one, these are just regular people. These are regular women that a lot of them started out exactly where you're starting out or maybe even with less. I think it's easy to look at these people and think, oh, you know, they got to where they got because they have connections or they have money or they were in the right place at the right time. And, you know, that is true for a lot of people. That is very true. But there are also a lot of people that that's not the case. There are people that, you know, people I've been approached about Unearth Women and I've had people assume that I have a trust fund wow. and that I, I must have started Unearth Women because I have a trust fund and I thought, what the hell, I'm going to use it. <laughs> and when they find out that I started Unearth Women while unemployed with no savings, they're like, oh, that is different. And, it, you know, so it's sort of like, when you talk to people and you hear their origin story and you hear about where they got to where they are, I think sometimes it makes it feel more accessible. And if it feels more accessible, then it feels like you can do it too. And that's really kind of the takeaway from every one of these conversations, from every woman's travel conference that I've both attended and spoken at. The takeaway is always this. If I can do this, you can do it. That's just what it comes down to. There's nothing that separates the people who are listening to this and me. You know, I I don't come from money. I'm an immigrant from Colombia. I I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I went to Indiana University. I didn't do some impressive internships at Vogue or anything. I didn't even climb the ladder of editorial the way that other people do. I stumbled around New York going from job to job, balancing freelance writing while waitressing tables until I got into advertising. What I did was I just hustled and I networked and I talked to people that had careers that I wanted. And I talked to people that would take the time to, to mentor me and help me. And that is what it took. And so, yeah, for the people listening to this podcast, you know, there's never going to be a invitation to start and there's never going to be a clear-cut path to walk. You just kind of do it and if you feel scared to do it, talk to other women who've done it already and you'll see that there was nothing special about them. It just was drive. That's all it was. It was drive and passion. 
I love it. I love it, Nikki. Yes, subscribe 100% under everything you said. This is what I talk about every single time on the podcast. So this is, this is amazing. So I want to close with this question. And it's a bit of a big question, but how would you start thinking about what does it mean to be a woman who is stepping into her brilliance today? I think it means being confident. I think confidence is key. Again, this sort of goes back to where we are as a society and culture right now. It's so important to not only have confidence in what you stand for and what you believe, you have to stand behind your idea. That is the biggest thing. But also to recognize a sense of responsibility, whether it's telling stories that uplift other people whether it's challenging the status quo of industries that are behind in the times, or whether it's pushing for sustainability or whatever it is. I think today it's all about standing behind your beliefs and having responsibility to try to shape tomorrow to be better. That to me is the biggest thing that I see right now across all industries is that globally we're coming out of a very difficult time. And it has never been more important to look towards tomorrow and sort of recognize all of our collective responsibility in shaping tomorrow. And for every single industry, there's sort of a reckoning happening, including travel, which is what does that look like? For travel, it's a big focus on sustainability and responsible tourism. And you see everything from companies to writers to bloggers trying to figure out what that is trying to figure out how they change their content and what is their responsibility to that. And so to answer your question, I think that's what it looks like to be a woman today stepping into a field is its confidence and its responsibility. Yes. And I think that the key to that change that you talk about globally is really women. Women have the key. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Again, it goes back to responsibility. We all have a responsibility to lift other women up, to lift women up in other countries where they are suppressed. And there's only good that can come out of that. And so the more awareness you can spread, the more content you can create, the more voices you can lift, the more people you can interview, whatever is your medium and whatever is your platform, I think you should use it <laughs> to lift people up because that's so important right now. Nikki, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been a pleasure and a joy to talk to you. And I think we need to invite you again to our podcast so that we can explore more of these themes in more depth because there's just so much beauty and meaning to uncover in the conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute delight to talk to you. And again, I, I feel like we could go on for hours. So I am always game to come back on. Thank you so much for sharing an hour of your day with us today. I hope you found some inspiration in this conversation with Nikki. And if so, please consider leaving us a review so that more listeners could find our show. And as a special thank you to our Genius Women podcast listeners, Unearth Women is offering a special 10% off a one-year subscription to Unearth Women's newsletter which includes wonderful perks such as subscription to the print magazine that we talked about so much in the show, a print copy of the Unearthed Women Feminist City Guidebook, 
a women-made charm bracelet, feminist stickers, a subscriber-only newsletter, and much, much more. A portion of profits from the newsletter is donated to a different nonprofit each month. Go to unearthwomen.substack.com slash geniuswomen to get your 10% discount. And we'll link to it in the show notes as well. So go check out our show notes if you'd like to support the Unearthed Women platform. Thank you, Nikki, for this wonderful offer to our podcast listeners. And if you want to support our show, the best way to do so is to share a piece of our content. That helps us out so much. Share our content, subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram, and if you feel like it, leave us a podcast review. All of that helps us out so much. It helps us grow and spread our message, so that's the best way you can support us. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week for a conversation with travel and wellness entrepreneur Yumi Jean-Francois.